Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 4 on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Chris O'Brien, founder and head roaster of Coffee Cycle Roasting, is back this week to talk about cleaning the common coffee equipment you might have at home. I'm talking about cleaning the scales off your kettle or the inside of your coffee grinder. It can seem a bit daunting sometimes, especially early in the morning when you're making your cup of coffee. But after today's episode, it will be a much easier challenge to tackle. If you are in San Diego this week, head over to Pacific Beach and order Coffee Cycles House Costa Rica Roast. I know that they are on their last few batches of that particular coffee, and after working with the green beans for the past several months, they've really dialed it into perfection. Coffee really represents a moment in time. For all the work that Chris and his fellow roaster Tim have put into the Costa Rica, in very short order, it will be gone forever. There will be future green coffee beans from Costa Rica, and even beans from that particular farm, Café Corazon, but this experience with coffee, this batch, which was impacted by the weather, the farmer, the shipping logistics, storage, roasting machine, and the capabilities of all the hands that touched it along the way, will never exist again. That makes coffee both tangible and yet something that will disappear into history, leaving nothing more than a collective memory of its existence, which I think is a really cool thought to hang on to this morning. Also really cool is subscribing to the Roast West Coast Coffee newsletter, which you can find online at roastwestcoast.com, and the link is in this show's notes. Today I'm drinking that very Costa Rica coffee from Coffee Cycle, that I told you to go try earlier. It has a big, bold, dark chocolate and caramel flavor, and I think I taste an underlying note of fig. I've been drinking this same coffee for several months, and the recent roasts seem to have a complexity and a sweeter finish that I wasn't tasting early on. Like I said, head to the shop to try it, or if you're not in the area, you can still order this coffee for a very short time on coffeecycleroasting.com. Right now, I hope that you have your own cup of coffee, or you're about to slurp an espresso, or you are sitting in the sun sipping on a flash-chilled coffee, because it is time for yet another Coffee Smarter session with my coffee sensei, Chris O'Brien, of Coffee Cycle Roasting, all about cleaning your at-home coffee equipment. Mr. O'Brien, welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. We are in season two, season two, season, two. We are in season five, <laughs> season five. Uh, this is our second Coffee Smarter episode of the year. Obviously, I'm still trying there. to get caught up. I do need more coffee. <laughs> I have been drinking a lot of coffee lately. I've got a new coffee column with the Coast News where I go around drinking coffee and then writing about it. Uh, so if anyone is listening, look for the Bean Journal on the Coast News. I came oh. up with the name. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> but I wanted to have you back to talk about something uh, really important today. Is that column written by a has-been? <laughs> uh, no, it's an uh, it's a bot. It's a Twitter <laughs> bot that retired uh, after the recent sale of Twitter. <laughs> Uh, I want to ask you about something really important today, which is cleanliness. 
how we clean our coffee equipment, things like our coffee grinder, our pot, our brewer, you know, and how that cleaning can positively or improper cleaning can negatively impact our coffee experience. This is something I struggle with because I never really know for sure how to to clean my grinder uh, in particular because it seems like grinds get caught in there. One of the side effects of having kind of a lower end uh, burr grinder, but it's a little messy. And and also, I guess, cleaning in between. I switch from one bean, you know, one coffee to the next, sometimes daily. Should I be cleaning that every single time? Is it going to leave residuals? I'm, I'm expanding the scope of this question. So let's start with something more specific. How do I clean my coffee equipment, Chris? <laughs> all right. So there's a bunch of coffee equipment we use, and it all needs to be cleaned. I think in our first episode this season, we had kind of a short episode. I'm going to warn you right now, this, this, there's a lot to cover here because, you know, each different piece of your coffee equipment requires different cleaning. And if this is intimidating anybody listening, including you, Ryan, don't worry. It's actually all pretty simple and, and pretty easy. And it's even easier if you do it more often. And, you know, I'm looking around at my desk right now, which is like covered in for lack of a better word, crap. And so, you know, (laughs) regular maintenance and cleanliness is not always my strong suit, but in coffee equipment, it is easy enough that I'm actually good at pretty good at keeping my coffee equipment clean and, uh, and doing a good job. And it's important. And it's important because if you have really good coffee, you're using good water, you're using good equipment. Well, if you don't keep it clean, you know, you're still going to be contaminating the taste of your final product with old crappy stuff. You know, if you drink really dark roasted coffee and you can see sometimes in like the hopper or around the, uh, the, the, the ground, the grinder, um, you'll see some of that residue kind of build up from the oils in that darker roast. Those oils can go rancid. You can actually be putting like rancid, like, like gross, sour, bitter, like awful stuff into your coffee by not cleaning it. Um, a lot of people use, you know, reusable coffee mugs and at the bottom of a reusable coffee mug, you know, it starts out this beautiful shiny silver and eventually it turns this kind of black and it's, it's, you can't just scrub it out with like soap and water. It doesn't scrub out. Well, that stuff does affect the taste of your coffee. And so if you can clean it out, which is actually really easy, it goes a long way to making sure your, your cup always tastes at its best. I guess the best way to do this is to kind of break it down from, we'll start at the grinder and we'll move through to the brewer and then we'll move through to the, the cup. So a coffee grinder, first spot of contact for your, your, your beans can develop, you know, those rancid oils if you're drinking something really dark. But if you're not worried about that, you're probably still worried about, you know, stale coffee grounds getting in there and just kind of old stuff in there. Ideally, you can open up your grinder, you can take one burr off of the other burr. There's usually a stationary burr that doesn't move and one burr that moves and spins. Um, And you can take one burr off and you can just clean it. And you can just clean it with, you know, a rag, towels, you know, an old paintbrush, an old toothbrush, something like that, um, just to kind of get in all the little nooks and crannies. And it's usually not too hard. You said that you had an old crappy, you know, low-end grinder, right? Well, it's not old, but it's just... It feels like the way that it's designed, it's functional and does a great job grinding, but maybe doesn't worry so much about the cleanliness or about making it easy to get in and clean it. So I can pull out the top part of the burr set 
yeah. and clean that, or I can take the hopper off and I can clean that separately. But yeah. there's always grinds that get stuck kind of on the interior of the system that I really can't get to. Totally uh, fair. Because I think it was just designed to be, you know, all all enclosed. Totally fair. And, you know, one of the nice but things about... But if I tap how... on it... <laughs> sorry to interrupt, but, yeah. but yeah, but if I tap on it, you know, with my finger, those grinds will start dropping out uh, <laughs> underneath. So I know they're in there. Right. So, you know, the nice thing about those lower end grinders is that they are actually pretty easy usually to open up and take the topper off. And that's, that's the main step that makes it really easy. And then from there, you know, the best thing to do is just to stick a vacuum cleaner tube on there. You know, if you have a shop vac, great. But if not, most vacuum cleaners, you can just take the tube and, you know, and just suck out some of those grounds. When you're doing that, you know, you want to be careful to make sure there aren't any small pieces, little springs or screws or anything that are loose that could potentially be vacuumed in. But if you take, you know, a brush or paper towel or a rag and you kind of loosen up all the stuff that you can in there, and then you just hit it with the vacuum real quick, you'll get a lot of stuff out of there and clean up a lot of it. Not everybody, though, wants to tinker that much. Not everybody is like, this isn't, you know, worth it for me. And then just as far as like day-to-day -day stuff, you know, you might be worried that if you grind coffee one day, the next day, you know there's coffee grounds stuck in the grinder. So am I serving myself coffee that I ground yesterday, today? Um, and there's a good chance that you are, um, especially with uh, espresso grinders. The traditional design of espresso grinders have a lot of uh, what we call ret retention, you know, coffee grounds that get retained between the grinding burrs and the shoot that they come out of the, the spout and those coffee grounds that are retained the retention uh get old and stale and they don't taste as good as delicious fresh ground coffee which is the whole point of owning a burr grind and so to get rid of that what you can do is you can kind of purge some beans you take a pinch or a handful of beans and you, you grind it in there so you have fresh grounds being retained and obviously this is not ideal you're, you're wasting coffee just to ensure that you have freshly ground coffee. But with a lot of grinder designs, that's really your only option. I, uh, there are a lot of cool grinders out now that specialize in having zero or near zero retention. And they're especially useful for what we call single dosing, when you're weighing out your beans and then grinding those beans immediately, as opposed to filling a hopper full of beans and grinding for five seconds because you know that 10 grams grind in five seconds or whatever whatever the equivalency is. And single dosing has become much more popular as we are all more aware of the importance of accuracy in weighing out our grounds and precision in being consistent with that. So Getting rid of that retention, yes, you can you can waste some coffee to get rid of that retention if your grinder is is designed that way, which it probably is. But if you don't want to open up your coffee grinder to give it a deep clean every now and then, um, you can still do some good in terms of cleaning it and making sure that no you know oils are building up and nothing too gross is getting in there. And you can throw a, a cleaning product in there. They make they make grinds is a is a brand of a cleaning product. G R I N D Z by the brand Ernex, I think. And if you throw grinds in your grinder and grind it, um, it will help clean off the cutting edge of the, the burrs and kind of push through some stuff and loosen, loosen up anything that might be kind of sticking to the inside of the grinder. 
And then, of course, when you're done putting the grinds in there, you have to put some purge beans in there so you're not drinking the grinds. Cleaner product. Uh, just to clarify, because I might not have known this had I not known you, uh, purge beans are just like your literally throwaway beans that you throw in. They might be good beans, but they're beans you're putting into the grinder and running them through and throwing them away because they're just kind of pulling whatever's in there through with them. Right, they're pushing through that that retention. They're pushing pushing anything that would be stuck in that grinder through and replacing it with these purge beans that have become purge grounds. Um, so you know that there's something halfway decent in there instead of uh, cleaner. And then some people, and I've never actually done this, um, but I've definitely heard of it often enough that I'm, I'm sure it's, it's, it's viable, is to just clean your grinder by throwing rice in there and to grind rice hmm. uh, as opposed to uh, an actual cleaning product. And that rice will... And I assume I assume you mean dried rice, not yes. cooked rice? Yes, dried rice, not cooked just rice. Just to clarify. No, no, that's, that's a good idea. I mean, you don't want anyone calling, calling the show being like, uh, <laughs> I don't know why it's all steamy in there and it's not grinding coffee anymore. Yeah, definitely dry rice. Yeah, I don't worry about people calling in to complain that much because I've listed your phone number at the shop as the show's number. You know, that explains some very interesting phone calls I've gotten. Uh, I won't go into more detail than that, but they've been interesting. Uh... <laughs> okay, so throwing rice, uh, dry rice into the grinder is another option. Yeah, supposedly. Um, I, I can't say I've actually tried it myself, but I do assume that it works. So after you're done cleaning your grinder with grinds or rice, after, or after you vacuumed it out and brushed it out and all that, your grinder should be in pretty good shape. Uh, that being said, every now and then we do need to maintain the grinder by replacing the burrs. Most people and most grinders, they don't need to replace the burrs more than every you know fair number of years. Um, and so sometimes it's actually even more worthwhile to replace the grinder than the burrs. I don't love replacing the grinder instead of the burrs because that's wasteful and I don't like to waste things like that and create more electronic waste. Um, but it is an option for people if you've really cheaped out on the grinder and it might be a good excuse to upgrade your grinder if you feel like the burrs have worn out due to age. But if you have a halfway decent grinder, it's usually very easy to get replacement burrs and it's not that hard if you're already opening up the grinder to clean the burrs. Uh, it's just another couple screws to remove the burrs from you know, what you've opened up already and to just screw in some new burrs. I think the hardest thing about that, the hardest thing about that process is like remembering to keep the manual and where you put it in like some random drawer somewhere <laughs> so you can yes. look up what screws to remove. Well, thankfully, you know, YouTube is full of things like that and the internet has full is full of things like that. There's some brands of grinder that are actually really excellent for things like that. Barazza is very well known for making grinders that are user-friendly in terms of modifications, repairs, and, uh, and replacing parts. And they will actually help you do it. Whereas most manufacturers say, oh, you open it up, you void the warranty. Of all the companies out there, Barazza actually will, will help you open it up uh, and fix stuff. They have a whole motto that says, repair, don't replace. And while a lot of their grinders are not necessarily my favorites on the market, that adds such value that I, I really respect them as a company um, and their and their products. Therefore, and I've used I've used a number of them. But we've got our grinder pretty clean. We've even touched on potentially replacing the burrs. 
So now we got to look at the next stage in the process, which is your brewer. And whether you're using a drip coffee maker or a pour over maker, um, there's some things that are the same and some things that are different. So a lot of the time, if you have like a glass coffee pot, you'll see at the bottom of the pot, it starts to get kind of a little brownish. And some people, you know, will scrub and scrub away at that and it won't come off kind of like at the bottom of your, your, your mug. Um, but there are some products that actually take that off really easily as well. You know, some people are used to cleaning things with vinegar. And vinegar as, a, as an acid with a, a low pH is going to be great at cleaning some things off. But one of the things that's really terrible at cleaning off is that coffee residue. Because what you really want for cleaning off that coffee residue is an alkaline, is a base. And so the most of the popular cleaning products out there for cleaning off coffee residue like that are based on sodium carbonate. Sodium carbonate is basically a, a, a white powder that can you know make a effective cleaning solution when you add some hot water to it and you put you know a tablespoon or two of that into kind of anything and add some some boiling water and let it sit for a little while and then when you empty that and uh, and scrub it with soap and water all that brown stuff is gone if you try it on on your crusty old coffee mug uh, that you've been leaving in the truck for you know a couple of years it'll make it look brand new and it's really incredible and it works really well. As a, as a hack, you can use sodium bicarbonate. You can use so baking soda, but it's definitely not as effective. You know, you might have to do a couple runs on it with, with, with baking soda where you use hot water and the baking soda and kind of let it soak for a little bit and then scrub it out and try it again. Um, but these products that are sodium carbonate are, are very accessible. They're very reasonably priced for some reason. At every coffee shop I've worked at, the management always tells us how expensive this stuff is. And now that I've been running a coffee shop for five years, it's not that expensive. Especially if it keeps your equipment clean. I, I, I don't know why this has been handed down to me for so many years, but every barista I've ever talked to has said the same thing. This stuff's not that expensive. And it's, there's a ton of brands of it out there. There's Joe Glow, there's Kafiza, there's Urnex. There's all these different brands of it. So they're all competing with each other. It's all basically one atom away from being baking soda which everyone has in their fridge anyway um so it's really clean your coffee stuff is all i'm saying clean your coffee stuff please because it's not that hard but there's one other aspect of of coffee equipment cleanliness that really should be touched on and that is scale buildup and scale buildup is really important for mainly for espresso machines but really for any kind of drip machine and even for a, a kettle if you're doing pour overs at home uh, our water in San Diego is very hard. And when we say hard water, it means it has a lot of minerals in it. And the mineral we're really worried most about is, is calcium. And calcium, when you have hot boiling hot water, calcium likes to precipitate out of the water and stick onto, you know, some metal nearby, some steel nearby. And it forms this kind of white, crusty substance uh, that we call scale buildup. And it's really just calcium or lime deposits. And you can imagine that in a small metal tube that might be running through your coffee brewer or your espresso machine to bring boiling water from point A to point B to get it closer to your coffee, to brew your coffee, as that scale buildup occurs, as that calcium gets deposited on the walls of this thin steel tube, 
the diameter of the tube gets smaller and smaller and eventually gets clogged and, and will no longer allow water to flow to your coffee, which means your coffee machine is broken. So if you don't do this kind of preventative maintenance cleaning on your coffee brewer, especially your espresso machine, your coffee maker will break and then you have to buy a new one because at a certain point, scale buildup will destroy the machine. But if you get to it early enough, you won't need to totally replace your machine. Um, and the best way to handle it is to, of course, use filtered water first so that you have less scale buildup or no scale buildup. But depending on the hardness of your water and your type of filtration, you might not be removing all of the calcium from the water. And in a place like San Diego, it's actually really hard to remove all the calcium from the water. The only really way is to do it is to use reverse osmosis, which is very wasteful. And then you're going to remove enough other minerals from the water that your coffee won't taste as good unless you put some minerals back into the water. That's an interesting statement just to say that one, you and I could have the exact same coffee bean, exact same grinder, process everything. But if you use water from where you're located and I'm using water from where I'm located, it might, it would, there would be differences in the, in the final product because of that water. I wanted to touch on two things. First, uh, hard water is also a fantastic old Christian Slater movie in which he fights the rain. So check that out. Wow. I'm into it. <sighs> And uh, it's mostly him running around in the rain in a white t-shirt, I think, a lot, if I recall. But also, when we're talking about the brewing and, and scale buildup in, in particular, because I have that problem with my kettle at home, just seems like I can never really get it clean. Are there, are there materials of brewer or kettle or whatever that scale less, if that makes sense? So like glass versus stainless steel. Like I have a stainless steel French press. Uh, which I bought because I kept breaking the glass ones because I'm three-dimensional. <laughs> but I forget I'm three-dimensional oftentimes. <laughs> but like, for example, like I have a Hario V60, you know, brewer that doesn't seem to scale, but it could just be because it's white and I can't see the scale as much. But are there different, does it, the scaling impact all materials kind of similarly or can I avoid that or prevent it to some extent simply by choosing a different material for my brewing product? Does that make sense? You know, chances are if you're going to be heating up water, there's going to be materials in the device you're using to heat up the water that are going to acquire scale buildup. So as, as, as far as I'm aware of, there's no real way to totally avoid it other than by, you know, cleaning up your water in the first place. And, you know, beyond just scale buildup, I mean, cleaning up your water in the first place is going to make a better cup of coffee. So, you know, much as it might be nice to say, oh, can I just shortcut this whole thing and just have something that doesn't have scale buildup? Well, you, it's, good, it's a good reason to pay attention to the water in the first place if you weren't doing it already. Uh, I am guilty of having made my coffee with tap water for many years because I sometimes am lazy and... I said, you know what, I'll get used to the taste. And I did. And, you know, my coffee, it does taste better now that I don't do that. Mind blown. Honestly, I just assumed you were pouring bottles of Fuji water into your kettle every morning. I just assumed that was kind of the what was happening over there. You know, that's the second time Fuji water has come up in 48 hours for me. And is that even still a thing? I have not seen one of those little square bottles in forever. I have no idea. I, I can't honestly say that I bought a <laughs> bottle of water in a long, long time. 
you know, that was always kind of like, stop using bottled water and you'll save the environment. Happy Earth Day, by the way, everyone. It was recently. And it feels like I don't know anyone who's bought a bottle of water in like a decade. And yet all of our problems are similarly the same. It almost feels like we've just kind of gone the other way. We don't make bottles of water anymore, but there's a gajillion. Everybody, like I have two or three like reusable water bottles. And it feels like every time I go to the store, I kind of want to buy another one. It just feels like <laughs> I've replaced that. Still two or three is much better than, you know, hundreds and hundreds a year, but. I, I don't know who still is buying bottled water. I guess emergencies or places where the water isn't safe. Uh, I'm not sure. I think you probably live in a very pleasant bubble where you're just not encountering the people that are buying all those bottles of water. I'm pretty sure it's still a big thing. I do live in a bubble, and I do think that it is that is very true. Like I just, it's not something that's been part of my life for a long time. And uh, buying bottled water, that is, I just wouldn't think to do it, but. I'm also not necessarily out uh, in places where bottled water is readily available. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's funny how you can kind of find your your way into your own your own little little bubble like that. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure there's definitely lots of people still doing lots of disposable bottled water, which is you know pretty sad. But you know what's fun is when you're looking at sources of water you can buy, you can also look up a lot of their mineral content. Um, because they have to publish that data somewhere uh, most of the time. There are certain waters that are known to be to be better or worse for coffee brewing, either on the equipment end or on the taste end or both. So I had a friend who got an espresso machine in town here a number of years ago, and he um, specialized in water chemistry, actually. Well, more of the physics of water, but he met him, uh, the hydrodynamicist, Dr. Dommermuth. But... You know, he did research to figure out which brand and uh, particular line of bottled water would be ideal for his espresso machine, both for taste and for uh, equipment's sake. But, you know, that's probably enough of a tangent on water quality for the topic, which was cleaning, because we never talked about how to clean that scale off. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that is actually doable, um, and it's not necessarily that hard. For an espresso machine, it can be a little tricky depending on your espresso machine. And generally, unless your espresso machine has, you know, uh, a specific recipe for how to do this at home yourself, um, and that would be something where you'd want to find that manual hidden in that drawer somewhere or speak to a representative from the company. Generally, if you want to descale your espresso machine it's best to have a professional do it because a lot of the time it requires removing the boiler from the espresso machine to kind of make sure you get all this stuff off. But in more simple terms, when you're looking at like your kettle, that's getting all that scale build up around the edge. We talked about how acids are really good at cleaning some things and we use a base and alkaline to clean a lot of this coffee residue. Well, one thing that acids are pretty good at cleaning is scale buildup. And so, you know, simple white vinegar or usually citric acid is is what's used. Uh, We usually make a 20% citric acid solution. Citric acid is very easy to find and buy. You know, you can just get it on on the internet somewhere. Or sometimes you can find it in a a cleaning aisle, a cleaning product aisle. Um, But you can get it in like a white powder and you add it to hot water and you kind of mix it to make a solution. And it's non-toxic. You know, there's citric acid in all kinds of food that we eat. Obviously not at the levels of you know, acidity that we use as a cleaning product, 
but you can make it into this, you know, acidic cleaning product and you kind of basically soak your, your product in it and that'll help the scale separate from the metal that it's attached to. And the problem with that is that it doesn't really break down the scale much beyond that. So if you let your scale build up, if you let that calcium build up a lot, and then you try to descale, you have these large chunks of floating calcium that can still lodge and wedge into tight spaces inside the plumbing of your coffee equipment. And it's very difficult to break them down from that. And so you often will have to disassemble the machine and, you know, poke away at these little tubes. And basically, uh, you know, they say, what is it? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure or something like that. Um, It's definitely better to be descaling, you know, or using good water or both than it is to be, oh crap, I haven't descaled in a couple of years. I better go ahead and do that. You might be getting yourself into trouble if you have waited too long. But generally, descaling is pretty easy. Uh, if you're just doing something like a kettle, um, even a coffee brewer, you can descale pretty easily. You just kind of put that citric acid solution in the water reservoir of your coffee brewer. You brew it through, and then you brew through a bunch more water. And, and then to verify that all the citric acid is gone, after you've brewed through you know, a couple batches of water, you can literally just taste the water after it's done brewing through and see if it tastes sour at all. Um, if the water tastes sour at all, you still have a little bit of citric acid residue in there, and you just got to keep running water through until it removes all the citric acid from from your from your brewer. And while you're doing that, all that scale that you've kind of shaken loose will be brewed through as well. So if you do that to your coffee brewer once a year, once every six months, depending on you know where what kind of water you're using, you can ensure a really long life out of your coffee brewer. And of course, make sure that it's uh, acceptable with the manufacturer's tolerances or whatever, but there should be no reason that a coffee brewer can't handle some, some citric acid solution going through it to remove that scale. So yeah, those are, those are your methods of, of cleaning. You've got you know, your grinder, your, your, your coffee residue, and then you've got your scale buildup. And I can avoid all of this work if I just go to the local coffee roaster and buy a cup of coffee. Well, and hopefully they're doing it. <laughs> hopefully they're doing yes, hopefully it. They are. They're dirty coffee. I'm doing some math in my head. How much would it cost me to buy coffee every day at a roaster versus buy coffee for home and then also the equipment? I think over time I'd probably spend a little more at the coffee shop because I like to uh I like to tip, but still certainly uh worth worth thinking about. It's really not that bad. I think you underestimate the lengths that I will go to procrastinate and avoid something. Oh, I, I'm 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 the winner in that in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if my desk looks like this, but my coffee equipment is clean and it, it is pretty clean, then you know that you can do it. Because if 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 the guy who owns this desk, which I'm not going to show you right now, but if if the guy who owns this desk can keep his coffee equipment clean, anybody can do it. I swear. <laughs> I think the last time I was at your house was, I mean, pre-pandemic for sure, but maybe even a year or two before that. Well, the whole house looked like that. <laughs> yeah, I remember n- not because it was like dirty, but because there was just there was I think twelve bicycles in the living room. And they were like surrounding a couch. So if you sat on the couch, there'd be a bike behind you on both sides and then leaned up on the table in front of you. It was either bikes, science fiction books, 
coffee equipment. There just was no room. And I remember that uh, vividly. It's gotten better. There are still a lot of bikes. <laughs> you should you should uh, send some of those bikes my way. I could use a new bike. We did this thing uh, last week where we got to know you a little better, and I'd like to continue that trend, uh, rapid-fire answer oh, no. uh, of questions. Yes. My theme this week is food. So I'm going to throw these at you. Just don't think about it. Just answer. Ready? I, I guess so. Lay it on me. All right. Taco or burrito? Burrito. Salsa or guac? Guac. Pizza or pasta? Pizza. Cereal or oatmeal? Pizza. Favorite former employee that's on this video chat with you? <laughs> we were just talking about bicycles, and uh, you, you just had the like fifth, I think, annual less a pandemic year hippie which is a bike ride up and down and nearby i'm gonna call it a mountain but it's a hill called mount soledad through a bunch of different beautiful routes overlooking the ocean and through uh pacific beach and la jolla and i'm wondering how how and why are bicycles kind of important to you and and to the you know that so much so that you integrated them into the brand of your company and which is really a lot of who you are. Wow. Um, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> I'll try to be concise. <laughs> you know, I, I don't drive, uh, and I'm not, you know, totally opposed to, to driving necessarily. Um, I, you know, kind of didn't get around to it. And then by the time I did, I had kind of formed some opinions about it that, you know, I just, um, I thought it would be a good opportunity to have discussions like this with people because it's sort of a talking point, right? Like, Oh wow, you're almost 40 and you don't drive. And a lot of it, you know, is that I think that we take driving for granted and, you know, the use of these vehicles, which are very powerful, potent things that, you know, I think is, is wonderful that we have that empowerment for, for, for individuals I think we really take it for granted and we take it for granted in the safety aspect. We take it for granted in the environmental aspect, but at the end of the day, we just take it for granted. And, you know, the question I usually pose people is when you're out driving, you know, from point A to point B, you know, on your average daily amount of driving, do you feel like every other driver that you've seen on the road during your average daily driving, you feel like every other person that you've seen driving deserves to have their driver's license and be able to drive every day. And I've never found anyone who said, <laughs> said yes. <laughs> and so, you know, it started kind of that way, which was, you know, that you don't really hear about people failing their driving test and never being able to drive. Like, but at the same time, there are, probably more people that do drive that probably shouldn't be allowed to drive all the time than there, than there are. Right. So it's kind of a, a thing that I think I want people to think about more is the privilege of being able to drive. And the bicycle for me was this wonderful privilege that 
the stakes were a lot lower and the the gains were a lot higher. And what's very cool is that as I've grown and gotten older, you know, still doing this 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 thing, I've learned so much more about what the bicycle can be and can do for people all over the world. So here I am, you know, young and I don't have a driver. I, I'm not, I don't have a driver's license. I'm not driving and I'm walking everywhere and I love walking and it's great for me and kind of keeps me in my tight little neighborhood and I can use public transportation. I can go places and, you know, do what I need to do. Um, and especially nowadays, you know, with like Lyft and Uber, it's like, it's very not limiting at all. But, you know, it didn't really feel like I was that restricted and it, it felt like like I kind of had this, this good life going on. And then I got introduced to cycling. And it's, it's funny because obviously I'd ridden a bike, you know, when I was a kid a little bit, but I never really fell in love with it as a kid for who knows what reason. Because a lot of my friends nowadays have been biking since they were little kids. And, and I really just didn't bike much until I was, you know, in my mid-20s. But as I started biking, I sort of discovered this, you know, ability to range further under my own power to carry my own stuff and, you know, to engage socially with people in, in this way. And it just, it was kind of like in every way I was winning, you know, I was getting this exercise. I was getting outside. I was having fun, cool stories about adventures I was going on. I was, you know, it just really, it was, it was very life-changing for me to, to fall in love with cycling. And it also helped me quit smoking cigarettes. I was a big cigarette smoker when I first started getting into cycling. So I had bought myself a new bike uh, that I was waiting uh, on the arrival of. It was a six-week lead time. And I was so excited about the bike for that first week. I kept checking online and looking at it. I was so excited about the day it was going to arrive, you know, and I kept, che I kept checking the, the arrival date, and it was the same every time. And I was so excited about that day that I decided, you know what? If I choose that day to quit smoking cigarettes, I'll be excited about the day to quit smoking cigarettes rather than dreading it. And and that's how that's how I quit smoking cigarettes was being excited about getting a new bike. And I'll tell you, it's uh it's a lot easier to bike long distances when you're not a heavy cigarette smoker. <laughs> it's also easier to uh, afford new bicycles when you're not a cigarette smoker. Yes, yeah. yes, that has definitely been a nice benefit. <laughs> That's definitely not a cheap habit. Well, I know that cycling is something uh, that you're passionate about, and there's a great community of cyclists who come to your shop, and um, it's actually how you and I met, so I certainly appreciate cycling as well. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate that you were willing to share a little bit more about uh, about your life and let us get to know you a little bit better. It only took yeah. <laughs> 200 episodes. How many did I say last week? Yeah, I think we're I around mean 200 now. <laughs> pretty sure you can tell how much more nervous I am to talk about myself and that than I am about coffee. Well, I'm always pushing your boundaries, Chris, but I do appreciate the coffee knowledge as well. And I thank you for coming back and helping us get coffee smarter. I know we're going to do it at least one more time this season and I'm really looking forward to it. And um, thanks for being here and I'll see you soon, bud. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate you. To recap, not cleaning your coffee brewing and grinding equipment can put you at risk of drinking unnecessarily bad coffee. Stale coffee grounds caught in the grinder or leftover oils from previous brews can taint the coffee that you're planning on drinking today. 
luckily with some very chill effort, like purging your grinder chute with fresh beans, or using a cleaning product like grinds or rice for those who are, like me, looking for alternative cleaning options, can make a huge difference. I learned today that you need a base or an alkaline chemical like sodium carbonate and not an acid like vinegar if you want to clean coffee stains from your mug or brewer. Another option is sodium bicarbonate or baking soda with hot water. When you're brewing your coffee, keep in mind that the mineral content in the water will impact the flavor that ends up in your mug. So if you decide to use filtered water one morning and tap water the next, your coffee might taste differently even if you do everything else exactly the same. I also learned that Chris does not, as I expected, dump fancy bottled waters into his kettle every morning. He sticks with water from the tap. Mostly I do too, although sometimes I up my game with water from the Brita filter in our refrigerator. And I, for one, am glad that Chris doesn't use bottled water for more than just coffee reasons. Based on recent studies, only about 5-6% to of the 46 million tons of plastic discarded in the United States annually gets recycled. That's 46 million tons every single year. Bottled water makes up a decent chunk of that. I was way, way wrong about people not drinking it anymore. Apparently, bottled water sales have been going up every year since, basically since the day they were introduced. More than 60 million empty bottles of water are thrown away worldwide. Every day. Every day. That is insane. More than 35 billion bottles of water were thrown away just in the United States in 2020. So please, skip the bottled water. Finally, that movie I mentioned with Christian Slater was called Hard Rain, not Hard Water. And it also starred Morgan Freeman, Dennis Quaid, and Minnie Driver. I'm going to post the trailer in the newsletter on RoastWestCoast.com because I believe that it might be a reflection of art in its purest form. If you have questions that you'd like answered on a future Coffee Smarter episode, please send them to the show on Instagram at Roast West Coast. And if you want to see what coffees Chris is serving at Coffee Cycle, head to coffeecycleroasting.com or follow the shop on Instagram at coffeecycleroasting. Chris will be back next week to tackle cowboy coffee and to make some suggestions for improving your coffee experience at the campsite this summer. And later this season, Siri Simran Kalsa of Lofty Coffee, Jared Hales of Hasea Coffee Source, and Ryan Sullivan of Moster Coffee will be joining the show as Coffee Smarter experts. Later this week, I'll drop the third interview of the season with Ian Nelson of Doma Coffee, based up in Post Falls, Idaho. And if you missed it, go back and listen to the last episode with Carol and Eric Blanche of Talking Crow Coffee Roasters. Talking Crow features decaf coffee as their primary offering. And on that show, we get into the reasons why. You can find that episode wherever you listen to this show, or you can stream it at roastwestcoast.com, and paid subscribers can check out the new column, The Bean Journal, which details what and where I'm drinking coffee. Last week, I featured the experience at Communal Coffee in Oceanside, California. Thank you for listening to the show today, and thanks to my industry partners, many of whom will be making many more guest appearances on this show in the near future. Ignite Coffee Company, Moster Coffee Company, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, First Light Whiskey, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Cafe La Terre, Marea Coffee, and Cape Horn Coffee Importers. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. 
I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. Hey there, if you liked this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast and you want more and more of this coffee content, please consider buying us a cup of coffee or signing up for one of the paid subscriptions to the Roast West Coast Coffee newsletter. That'd be really cool, and with enough subscribers like you, we'd be able to focus on creating coffee content all day, every day. Subscriptions are a great way to show appreciation for this show. Just head to roastwestcoast.com to subscribe or leave a tip. Thanks for listening, everyone. I like beer. Hey, everyone. If you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer, the podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer, the podcast, wherever you are listening to this show about coffee, or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com.